0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, then, brethren. And you're like, Paul, you're a liar. It's chapter 4, and there's another chapter coming after this. What do you mean, finally? Finally. Uh, Paul is, like most pastors, it takes him a long time just to clear his throat, you know? So uh, anyway, he's working on his conclusion here. um, But there's a lot ahead of us uh, before we finish 1 Thessalonians. Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the day of the Lord. We're going to be looking at end times prophecy. We're going to be looking at some, some wonderful prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled regarding the second coming of Christ. Paul still has a lot to say. But finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. I want to call your attention to three words here in verse 1 that kind of set the table for our lesson this morning. Uh, Those words are urge, exhort, exhort and abound. First of all that word urge, Paul says I urge you. In the Greek literally this word means to request or to entreat and the word implies that it is a request that is made on equal footing. Paul is not lording it over these guys. He's saying, listen, as a fellow brother in the Lord, on equal footing with you, I want to lovingly encourage you. It's a word of familiarity. It's one brother urging another. I want to urge you. As well, the word exhort. That word exhort, it means to call to one side. Uh, I'm calling you to my side and and um and you know we we see this illustrated in a negative sense if you 're a Star Wars fan, right Luke Skywalker called by Darth Vader Luke come to the dark side right, and Paul is saying listen i'm calling you here to the side of abounding in Christ. That's the side I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to abound in Christ. And, of course, that brings us to this third and this key word that we see in verse 1. It's the word abound. That word abound literally in the Greek, it speaks of an overabundance. It speaks of an exceedingly great number, exceeding a certain level and going beyond that. Uh, we, we see this exact same word used in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 14, where we have the story of the fishes and the loaves. You guys remember the story, right? Here the, the disciples are, are, are there and and the Lord, he takes this little kid's lunch and he miraculously multiplies it. They feed fish. 5,000 people, and there's abundant leftovers as well, exceedingly abundantly. Matthew 14, 20 says they ate, they all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. That's not just, you know, hey, here's my half-eaten plate. You can have the rest. That's not what's in view here. It's that the serving platters are just, there's plenty. You ever gone to like a potluck or or someplace where it's like, maybe you help a buddy move, and and he's like, hey, I'll I'll get get you guys pizza. And you get like one pizza, and everybody gets one slice. You're like, I want more, right? No, this is, the truck pulls up, and there is as much. Much as you want you want pepperoni I got double pepperoni you got you, you want you know it, whatever it is eat all you can eat that's that's not enough. eat some more you know kind of thing. this is the what's in view here and it's interesting twelve baskets, twelve apostles like the the, the lesson is 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 right there man in Christ and man it's it's you're full, you're filled you're beyond what you could ever have and you know the the, the thing here is that if you remember the story, And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I talk about it often. But if you remember the story leading up to this miracle, the fishes and the loaves, you'll recall that the disciples, Jesus had sent them out two by two and they went out and they ministered and they went before the Lord into every town where he himself was supposed to go. The Lord's preparing the disciples to take the baton of sharing the gospel after his impending departure and so he's getting them ready and they come back from this mission that he sent them out on and simultaneously two things are going on. Number one, they are pumped. They are thrilled. They're so excited in such a way that you never I mean until you serve the Lord and watch the Lord miraculously move and work it is exhilarating like nothing you've ever experienced and they come back exhilarated at all that God had done but simultaneously they're exhausted because they have worked hard serving the Lord and so the Lord Jesus he hears all their excited breathless stories about what they've done but he recognizes man they're gassed and Jesus says hey you know what I'm gonna give you guys a break, man. Let's 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 get in the boat. Let's go over to the other side of the lake and uh, and let's 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 have some retreat here. Let's get our tanks refilled, sort of thing. And so they m- happily get in the boat. There's multitudes there on that side pressing in. Everybody wanting a piece of them. Everybody wanting a part of them. And man, okay, let's go take a break. All right. And so they go to take the break. And what happens in the story is that all the multitudes they're crossing the lake from one shore to the other. But all these guys, they all run around the shore to the other side, so they get off the boat, and there's everybody that they were getting a break from on the other side, hey, we're glad you're here kind of thing, and I always put myself in the shoes of the apostles, maybe I'm reading a little too much into the text, but I think that the attitude of the disciples at that point was you again, I'm getting, I was promised a break, you are not a break, like Jesus of course gets out of the boat. He sees the multitude as sheep not having a shepherd. He's moved with compassion. So they spend the full day ministering to everybody. And the hour gets late. And the disciples come to Jesus. And they go, hey, you know what? It's late. This is a deserted place. These people don't have nothing to eat. We ain't got nothing to give them. Send them away. But the Lord says what? You feed them. You feed them, right? And... The disciples at this point, they're struggling with, with what I refer to as a scarcity mentality. Basically, their tanks are empty, their stomachs are empty, their provisions are empty. They're thinking it like we ain't got nothing to give. And so Jesus, he says, no, 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 you feed them. And what happens is that Jesus has something to give. Jesus works through empty men to care for the multitudes. See, they're empty. But Jesus is full. And the lesson in that encounter for us is that in Jesus Christ, we can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask and think for a lot of things right and and the lesson is that Christ has everything we need and it's and it's beyond what we need it's exceedingly abundant paul told the ephesians this he says i pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he jesus will empower you with inner strength through his holy spirit and then christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into god's love and keep you strong, <clears throat> and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the Lord's love. Right? May you experience the love of Christ, though it is uh, it, it is too great to understand fully and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, here it is, to accomplish infinitely more. Some of your translations read exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. And so what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians right now is this. He's saying, look, as brothers in Christ and and me as your fellow brother, I'm humbly imploring you, to walk on the side of God. And and don't just settle for a mediocre walk. Guys, what I'm imploring you to, I'm asking you to strive to abound, exceedingly abundantly, overflowing, abound more and more in your fruitfulness towards God. For you know, Paul goes on to say in verse 2, what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hit the pause button right there. That word sanctification, it it means to be set apart. The idea is one of consecration, and it's one of purification. The word itself is a, a noun, right? A noun's a person, a place, or a thing. And sanctification is a thing, being set apart to the Lord. But it works itself out in verb form right, in that there's action to our sanctification. In other words, sanctification is the resultant state of conduct befitting those who are separated to God. It's the resultant state of conduct. And, and here's the thing, your sanctification is the will of God, and it's not a white-knuckle thing. Certainly it's been said that your salvation costs you nothing, that it costs Jesus everything, but that your sanctification will cost you everything. And certainly it does, to be set apart to God and to be purified unto the Lord. Yes, this will cost you, and there is a sacrifice to it, but at the same time, we, we are sanctified day by day through the empowering working of the Holy Spirit. See, salvation is a a work that God does for you in Christ. Sanctification is a work that God does in you through the power of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. You see, and so this is the idea here. And Paul says, don't don't miss it, it's the will of God for you, sanctification. Now, all this leads us to the critical point of application today as we answer this question. This is the big idea of the text, put it on the screen for you. What should an abounding walk in Christ look like? That's our big idea. What should an abounding walk in Jesus Christ look like? God wants you to overflow with this abounding work. What does it look like? Well, what follows in verses 3 through 12, which are going to be the verses we cover today, Paul details three practices of an abounding life. Here in 2020, as you're looking forward and and you're you're saying, okay, I want to abound in Jesus Christ, these are three practices that you can immediately put into practice. Number one, Paul says we practice purity. We're going to look at that in verses 3 through 8. Secondly, Paul says we practice Philadelphia. You're like, well, I don't see Philadelphia in here. Yes, it's there. It's in verse 9. It's brotherly love. Philadelphia is the Greek word. I said Philadelphia in my notes because I wanted to alliterate every point with a P, okay? So purity, we practice Philadelphia, brotherly love. And the third practice of an abounding walk is that we practice prudence. We're going to look at that in verse 11 and 12. So if you're taking notes, write down the first note. It's we practice purity, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you, here it is, should abstain from sexual immorality. "...that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness." Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. We practice purity. Paul says the first practice of being pure is to abstain from sexual immorality. Here's what you need to understand. Thessalonica was heavily influenced by Roman culture. Right, And in Roman culture, sexual immorality was rampant and they didn't see it as being immoral. Uh, chastity and sexual purity were absolute unknown virtues in Roman culture, kind of like the culture that we live in today. Right, And the ancient writer uh, Demosthenes, he expressed the attitude of the Roman Empire this way. He said, quote, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes, end quote. In other words, Demosthenes is saying, look, you want to know what Rome's all about? Uh, We have prostitutes, we have mistresses, we have wives, and to us, that's Tuesday. Like, that's just the way it goes. And Paul here, what he's saying is, to these Thessalonians, he's saying, look, that's the culture you live in. Don't take your cues from that culture. You need to take your cues from God. And I think he would say the exact same thing to us today. We live in a world that basically thinks up is down and down is up. It's a world that has distinctly different, separate ideas in the attitude of sexual purity. And we can't take our cues from this world. We have to take our cues from God. And I want you to take note. Look at verse 3. Paul uses this term, sexual immorality. The Greek, it's one word. It's the word pornea. And, of course, we get the, the word Pornographic from this Greek word pornea. Pornea literally means sex that is forbidden by law. Understand, this is a junk drawer term for sexual immorality. It encompasses all of sexual immorality. And Paul uses this junk drawer term because people are sneaky. Sneaky basically, and if the Bible doesn't specifically address their peculiar area of of sexual sin, then they will insist that it's okay. Well, Jesus never said anything specifically about homosexuality. Well, he never said anything specifically about child molestation either. It doesn't mean that it's not sinful, you see? And so the Bible specifically says that we need to abstain from sexual immorality, sex that is forbidden by law. You see, the Bible talks about a certain culture, but the world and the culture that we live in, they define what they think is appropriate regarding sex. But when the Bible talks about sex, it says, don't do anything but get married and love your spouse. Anything outside of that, the Bible says, is sexual immorality. So if you are a single person and you engage in sexual activity as a single person outside of marriage, the Bible calls that fornication. If you are a married person and you engage with, in some sort of sexual activity with someone other than your spouse, the Bible calls that adultery. And see, understand, the Bible forbids both of these behaviors. Both are sex forbidden by law. The seventh commandment in Exodus 20, 24 says, you shall not commit adultery. And you can remember that seventh commandment. These two people, stay away from these people, right? (laughs) Don't commit adultery. Speaking to the Galatians, Paul spoke of the works of the flesh. He contrasts the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And speaking of the works of the flesh, the very first two things that he mentions are adultery and fornication. And I want you to notice in verse 6, Paul addresses really the, one of the critical issues here uh, behind God's reasoning for, for, t- for exhorting us not to engage in sexual immorality. You go, you go whoa, gosh, what, what's up with God? Why is he such a prude? Why does it, I mean, he created sex, so why, why does he put so many confines around it? Listen, it's, it's just as we put confines around fire. Fire is good and it's useful as long as it's contained in the right context. But outside of that context, it's destructive. And notice in verse 6 what Paul says. He says, no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. And this matter, we've already seen the context, this matter is the issue, sexual immorality. And he says, if you engage in sexually immoral behavior, sex that is forbidden by law, whether it's fornication or whether it's adultery, that what you're ultimately doing is you're defrauding somebody else. You see, if you're a single person and you engage in fornication, just thinking, oh, I'm gonna ignore that from what the Lord has said, we'll sweep that under the rug and just, I'm gonna do this. The Lord says in his word, what you're doing is you're defrauding. Who are you defrauding? You're defrauding that person's future spouse and you are defrauding your future spouse. If you are a married person, or if you're a single person who is engaged in in sex that is forbidden by law with a married person, if you're a married person engaged in sex that is forbidden by law with somebody other than your spouse, then you're committing adultery, and that is defrauding your spouse. That's defrauding the spouse of this other person. That's defrauding their family. You see, and so this is the reason behind it. And here's what the Bible says. Paul, speaking to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, he says, Among you there must not be even a hint, here's that junk drawer term again, a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And that word improper is very telling. It literally means to stand out inappropriately. That's the idea. And basically, this works both ways. If you engage in proper behavior, you stand out appropriately, as Christians should. If you engaged in, in improper behavior, you are standing out inappropriately. You see, we are to shine as lights and examples to the Lord. Now, I want you to take note of verse 4, because Paul says this. He says that purification begins with possession. Purification begins with possessing your own vessel. This means a couple of things. First of all, understand this. The Bible says very clearly, if you are a child of God, that your life doesn't belong to you. The Bible says that you have been bought at a price, and that price is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for you, a great price, a great cost that God paid for your soul. And so you have been bought at a price and the Bible says that we are then to glorify God with our bodies which belong to God. And so possession, if you're going to possess your vessel, you understand that your vessel, first of all, doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God and your possession of your life is a stewardship. You have a stewardship responsibility for how you live because my life doesn't belong to me, it now belongs to God. So possessing your own vessel comes into the equation understanding I have to live as a good steward of this body which God has entrusted to me. Secondly, understand this word possession, the dictionary defines it this way. It says that possession is to have and to hold, to have and to hold, and to seize or exercise control of, to have and to hold. What what does that remind you of? Just that phrase, to have and to hold. A marriage ceremony, right? Do you take this woman? To have and to hold, right? Well, it's interesting. That word possession in the Greek, it means to acquire, it means to get, or it means to to procure a thing for oneself. To acquire, to get, or to procure something for yourself. And one of the contexts in which that word applies is in marriage. Speaking to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he was talking about this issue of sex. And he was talking specifically um, about, you know, engaging in sex as a single person. And here's what he said. He says, if they, speaking of single people, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so if you're single here today... Purification in the area of sexual sin for you, it involves two things. Number one, it, it involves the possession of your vessel in self-control, in a stewardship capacity as we've discussed. But secondly, for many, it may mean purification in the area of sexual sin. It may mean marriage. Did you say, you know what? It's time to get married. It's time to get married so that, so that, so that I can enjoy what God has given as a gift but I can do so in a context that isn't sinful. Now, obviously, married people struggle with sexual sin. It, 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 you know, you, you're like, you know, just getting married doesn't make sexual sin or temptation go away. It's not a cure-all for sexual temptation and sin. But the Bible does prescribe a course of action for everybody who is tempted. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, flee sexual immorality, junk drawer term, all sex that is forbidden by law, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you, here it is, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's or which belong to God is the idea. Now a few minutes... We looked, a few minutes ago, we looked at the word abound, right? This this whole section hinges on that word abound. And, and abound, it, what does it speak of? It speaks of an overabundance. It speaks of an exceeding of a certain fixed number, over and above, right? We saw that it's the same word that was used to describe the 12 baskets of fish and bread that was left over in this miraculous feeding of the 5,000, And we remember that the disciples going into this had this scarcity mentality, right? Their attitude was our tanks are empty, our stomachs are empty, our provisions are empty. We ain't got nothing left to give, right? And the truth is that sometimes we fail to abound in this area of purity because we're empty. Because we're empty. We're empty of the strength of the Holy Spirit and we're empty of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But here's what the lesson of the fishes and the loaves teaches us. It teaches us that God himself has a never-ending supply of leftovers for us. God has that supply of leftovers. Now keep that in mind and look again at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, not to defraud your brother in this matter, And then in verse 7 he says, for God did not call us to uncleanness, But in holiness, therefore, he who rejects this, this command to be pure and to abstain from sexual sin, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Because it's key. Understand, here's the idea. God doesn't call you. He doesn't call me. He doesn't call us to anything that he doesn't first empower us to do. He doesn't call us to anything that he doesn't first empower you to do. And that's why he says in verse 8 that, hey, if, if you reject this, you're, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. And he emphasizes who has given us his Holy Spirit. You see, think about the Acts, and, or the, the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Uh, God calls these guys to take the baton of faith and to go out and to make disciples of all the nations, right? And so in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, getting ready to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples, you ain't ready yet. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, right? Um, for, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, right? And so the, the emphasis, the encouragement that Jesus gives these guys now, arguably, 12 guys who were the best instructed, prepared men for the, the, the work that God had called them to do in all of human history. The one and only graduating class of Emmanuel University, 12 disciples, Jesus with Jesus himself for three and a half years, and Jesus says, You ain't ready. You need power. You need power that you don't possess. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You go wait on the Lord, and you go be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is you read throughout the book of Acts, and you watch what happened with men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. They turn the world upside down. See, the the idea here that Paul is saying is he's saying, look, you need the Holy Spirit's power in your life to be able to honor the Lord with a purified life. That's the idea. And, and, and so so the, the, the issue here is that God doesn't call you to anything he doesn't empower you to. Paul told the Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except for such which is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, <clears throat> but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so what is it? What, what, do, what should an abounding walk in Christ look like? Well, first of all, we practice purity as we've looked at. Secondly, the second thing Paul says here is that we practice Philadelphia. We practice brotherly love. Now, I'm just going to briefly touch on this and spend more time on the third point. But here's the word that he uses. He was, uses this word Philadelphia, right? Concerning <clears throat> brotherly love, concerning Philadelphia, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia but we urge you brethren that you increase more and more Here's the idea the idea the attitude is is that the Christian life should be saturated with a Love and a kindness and an affection towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. That there should be a familial love that we embrace and that we practice and, and, that, we, and that, that we make a point of, hey, is this an ingredient in my life? Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He went on to say, by this, by how you exercise love, All will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I want you to notice here what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He's not saying, hey, you need to start loving your brethren. You're doing a lousy job. No, what he says is, you're doing a great job. You need to increase more and more. It's like you're here, you got to be here. You're here, you got to be here. You're here, you got to be here. One of the things I love about our church and I love hearing this. I have, you know, people come to the church and 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 overwhelmingly we we uh, the feedback we get from those that have decided to make our church their home, that are new to our church, whatever, they're like the love that we experience here is amazing. And, and music to my ears as a pastor, as a shepherd, that you know, that, that's what we want. You know, somebody coming here, I don't want them feeling like, you know, we're a used car salesman trying to sell them something. I want them to feel like we genuinely care about you. We are so blessed that you're here. and And we hear that all the time. But listen, this practice of love, we are called to have it increase more and more. And let me just be candid with you for a minute. This is one of the areas in my life that I'm convicted of. And, and in 2020, the Lord has, has, has told me that I need to work on this. See, this might come as a surprise to many of you. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You know, you know the question, if you were going to be on a desert island, who would you want to have with you? Um, I alternate between one of two answers. Nobody, I want to be alone. Or my wife, like, she's cool. I'll hang out with her, you know? Um, and and here's the thing. I can be sinful in that because sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what, let's just let the whole world burn down and go away. Let's just you and me get out of here, you know? Truly, that's just me being brutally honest with you. And, and the Lord's convicted me of that. He's like, look, dude, like... <laughs> Brotherly love, like there's a concept. Why don't you, you know, sacrifice yourself, put yourself out there. And and it's not that I don't care about other people because I do, but but sometimes it's a matter of introverted Ted is just sort of, uh, you know, wanting to... I don't know, introverts of the world unite. How many of you are introverts? Let me see you show hand. Introvert, most, yeah. And, and some introverts are like, I'm not even raising my hand, man. they like, you just you just asked too much of me right now. So, so that's just me. That's how the Lord's been speaking to me lately. Just, man, be, you know, practice this love. Let it be increasing more and more. Something to take a walk with. So three pa- practices of an abounding walk, right? We, we practice purity. We practice Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? And the third thing he talks about, we practice prudence. Notice there in verse 11 and 12, he says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. This is talking about those who are outside the faith and how we have an obligation to live missionally with a mind towards those who are outside the faith and he finishes the thought that you may lack nothing. Paul says, look, one of the key practices of an abundant walk in Jesus Christ is to leave is to lead to live a quiet life. Now, if you have the New King James translation, which is what I'm reading from this morning, The text reads, to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business, right? Uh, It's actually one word in the Greek. The Greek word is hedzukado, right? And here's what it means. It means to be quiet, it means to be still, and it means to be at rest, but it's also coupled with the idea that we mind our business, that we bite our tongues, and that we say nothing and we hold our peace. Now, here's the tricky part. As Christians, we are called to love each other in a way that we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that we exhort people to a a right behavior, that we focus on one another's life and that we be in each other's business in a healthy way to, to spur one another on. This ain't talking about that. There's another way that we as human beings tend to be involved in other people's life and that is in a negative sense where... We're just busybodies where we just got an opinion on everything. And social media has not helped us in this matter, right? Where you just got an opinion about everything and you're just going to air it and and we say some pretty brutal things on social media that I dare to say we wouldn't say to somebody's face, but we're somehow emboldened with the distance that it gives. See, here's the thing. We need to understand that sometimes, look, you just need to turn people over to the Lord. Sometimes you just need to pray for people. You don't have to, you don't have, to have an opinion on everybody. You don't, nobody made you King Farouk that you get to pass judgment on everybody, right? And so sometimes we need to take that to heart. We need to follow the wisdom of Thumper's dad who told him, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all, right? That's the idea that Paul is conveying here. So prudence means that we mind our business, but Paul goes on to say that it also means that we focus on business, right? What does Paul say? He says, work with your own hands, and he says, walk properly towards the lost, towards those who are outside. Now let me illustrate this with a story. Uh, years ago, I had a, a friend. He was pastor of a church, and he met a new congregant that he was striking up a conversation with. This gal that was new to him, and, and in the course of conversation, you know, what do we frequently ask people? What do you do for a living, right? And so he asked this gal. He says, well, "What do you do for a living?" And she said, "I'm a missionary." And he, "Wow!" And he says, well, "Where are you a missionary?" He's expecting her to say some exotic location, some you know, foreign country, whatever. She says, "Target." Here's what she was saying. She understands what it means to live and to walk with wisdom towards those who are outside, that she lived a missional life, that she embraced. She said, look, I work at Target, but I'm a missionary. And here's the thing. Most of you would say that that, that you're not an evangelist. Most of you would say that you're not a missionary. And all y'all are evangelists and missionaries. I just tell you. That's what we're called to be and to do in Christ Jesus, right? That metaphorically speaking, we are all missionaries at Target, right? Now, <clears throat> conveniently, we have one of our missionaries with us today. We've got the missions conference that's just starting up tomorrow down in, uh, in, in Murrieta, and we've got lots of our missionaries in from, from uh, out of the country. Welcome up Pastor John McCarthy here from, uh, from Ireland. How you doing, John? It's great to see you. So uh, you'll remember, John. We had him out a few months ago. John is—he uh, needs his microphone there. Rachel, that, that's on his jacket. Um, yeah, it's on the jacket there. You'll find it. Just keep digging. I left. There it is. <laughs> Um, you'll remember John, I introduced him to you a few months ago. Um, John um, is uh, one of the pastors at uh, North Clare Community Church. It's in a surf town called Lahinch in uh, in Ireland. Uh, beautiful town, highly recommend it. Um, John, uh, he, he's a pastor, but, but he's as Paul, he's a tent-making pastor. Paul runs a surf business, um, which, which he views also as a ministry, uh, surf school in La And so I, I thought it would be good for John to kind of to expand on this section. As Paul's saying, look, uh, work with your own hands and walk properly towards those who are outside. So this idea of living missionally, John, uh, why don't you talk to us about that for a few minutes?
1: Yeah, thank you, Reliance. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm here with my wife uh, and three kids, and we're on holidays this time. Last time, I was on a bit of a missions trip, And so um, we're going to go to the Missions Conference uh, next week. So it's a real blessing to be here with you. And uh, always wonderful to just spend time with your pastor and his wife. Um, Psalm number one is something that I look at uh, at the start of the year. And it just ties in with that um, picture of abounding and increasing and in growing. And because God uses the picture there of the tree. And um, I'll read out the verses And it says here in Psalm number 1, it says that we won't sit in the seat of the scornful, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and we meditate day and night. But this is what it says about the tree. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper and you know that's what God is doing in our lives and um, thank God each of us in Christ you know Christ is the tree we're the branches the part that the world gets to see and that tree God is growing us God is growing out into the world reaching out to people and um, and you know Sometimes you just think of our lives as a tree, and you think of a tree, and you think of it, it's maybe 15 foot high or something. But then you see another tree, and it's like 45 foot. And you know, that's God is doing this work in our lives and um, making our families, making our marriages a tree where people can come in, broken people can come in, find shelter, see the fruit of of love, like Philadelphia love that we talked about, just that we love people. And, um, you know, our lives are just, our lives are are God's today miracle that people in the world can see. And those two questions that people in the world so often have is, is God real, and does it work? You know what I mean? Christianity, people have heard so much about it. But is God real, and does it work? And our lives are that miracle that God has in on display. Um, 13 years ago, I got born again. And in our town, uh, the surf town, every, I can say everybody knows that uh, God changed my life completely. and um, But for you, you're, whether you're growing up in a Christian home or it's like our, our testimony of the way God has been working in our lives. And you know, I get it wrong. Uh, we have a surf school. Rachel and I, we run a surf school there. Our business is completely on display uh, on La Hinch Promenade. La Hinch is Called the Surf City of Ireland. It's the best surf town in Ireland. And so the promenade where people walk, go for a walk is probably from here to this wall. Sorry, our business is from here to this wall away from the promenade. And like people just walk up and down the promenade. So our business is just completely on display. And um, and in summertime, um, we get a lot of customers in July and August. They ask a lot of questions, and oftentimes it's the same old question. And sometimes you could just be talking to about it seems like ten different people per minute for eight hours a day. Um, I want to share a, a story of how you know we get it wrong, we make mistakes, we're not perfect, and um, in our testimony. And this English gentleman. Uh, Came to the surf school. We'd had a very busy couple of hours and uh, he wanted to rent a surfboard and he started to ask me question after question about surfboards. And my attitude was bad and I just, I kind of gave him half an answer per question. And then I said to him, as you can tell, we're just not that excited to talk about surfboard, answer questions about surfboards at this stage of the season. And so he just walked off. And he walked down to one, our competitor, rented a surfboard, and just walked straight past the <laughs> hut. And, uh, and uh, I, I was actually bent over at the sink when he walked past. But my colleague said to me, hey, uh, so anyway, I, I just got, con- the Lord convicted me. I just, uh, you know, I just thought, uh, okay. So I just walked after him. I went and I apologized to him. I said, listen, I just want to really apologize. My attitude uh, stinks. And you know i heard it be i heard it said that if we're not a picture of the grace of god to the world at the least we can be is a picture of humble repentance right so you know what i mean so when we get it wrong we acknowledge it and we just we're broken people that we found a savior and but you know at the surf school, this is where God has us. Rachel and I dream of uh, being supported as missionaries, where we don't have to work and we can just do ministry. But you know what? This is where God has us, and we've had so many great opportunities. I'm sure, like you can all testify. Um, there's a one of the other surf school owners. It looked like he was going to lose his uh, license for his business, and he just came down. We started chatting, and um, you know, ended up praying with him about his business and and God looked after it. And uh, his brother also, in a big wave uh, accident, smashed his knee and ended up just praying for these. So these are people where there is no faith in their lives and, you know, God isn't really, isn't uh, obviously in their lives. So praise God that we are just fruit-bearing trees reaching out to our communities and um, just showing that God is real, that this message works. And um, just the Rachel and I, we do, we run the surf school. We're both uh, project-type people, you know, whether it's ministry or work, we're both kind of, we both lock into like, okay, right, let's get this done. And then, um, but there's a great verse that the Lord uh, spoke to me and it's been a real verse for our surf school. Um, and I'd like to share that with you. It's in John chapter 6, verse 27. And this is what Jesus says about what we should be working for. He says, Jesus says, Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So Jesus says, do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life. And that's where God wants us to have our focus in 2020 on the most precious thing in the Lord is his souls, is lives won for Jesus. And God wants us to um, lay up treasure in heaven. But the, the challenge with having your own business, especially, I don't know if it's the same for women, but for men, we put our identity in our, our business or our job. If my business is successful, I'm a successful man. But God wants us to have that, that focus on things of eternity. Life is so short, and the Lord reminds us of these things, but we need to be about God's business. You know, the hour is late. We just don't know um, when, when our time is up. And God wants us to lay up treasures. And Jesus says that. He says, um, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So we got to keep our heart belonging to the Lord. We belong to Jesus Christ. And uh, he's, he's worthy of us. Just to wrap up um, that verse in Psalm number one, it's a, it's a great uh, direction for the year. You know, going down to the surf school in the morning, you just don't know who you're gonna meet or what's gonna happen. And um, the Lord wants to send us out with our hearts overflowing with a good theme as we go out, in, um, folks going out to our day. And that's that line in Psalm number one, verse two. And it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And that is how we're, our lives are going to be that tree that continues to grow and grow. And, um, and that's the key, that, that before we go out and meet the world, that we're hearts, our hearts are prepared. We've got something to share, something that the Lord has spoken to us each day. I'm just going to call back up Pastor Ted. Thank you, Reliance, for your pray, prayers. Pray for us this year, for Rachel and I. And um, God is so good. Thank you.
0: So, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I've got you. Um, You know, really, Paul's Paul's lesson here on on this this exhortation towards purity, uh, or rather towards towards prudence, um, it basically says, uh, mind your business, but be about business, right? And so uh, I got a couple questions about that. One, um, I I was writing them down so I wouldn't forget. But um, one of them is this: that um, how do you personally handle when it comes to minding your business when you see something in someone that is so irritating and maddening, and you want to be like you know having an opinion on the matter, and you know where where you know how do you differentiate between man I got to say something. Or, man, I, this is just something, like, I need to turn them over to the Lord. So, so I kind of spring that on you. Yeah, that just kind of comes to me. So how?
1: Yeah. Um, when, I want to uh, know because I'm yeah, not good at it. Yeah. No. <laughs> when, uh, when you, in summertime, we've got about 15 or 16 employees in the surf school. And surf instructors, you know, they kind of like, oh, I don't feel good today or whatever, you know. And so... There is that discerning of like, no, just keep loving them, keep loving them. But then I remember last summer, there was one guy, he said, I I can't make my lesson tomorrow because I'm going to the mart to sell cows with my father-in-law. And so there is, you know, discernment from the Lord as in like, no, that's just wrong behavior. So I messaged him back and I said, okay, that's cool. Well, if you're not available tomorrow, maybe you can do my lesson today and I'll cover you tomorrow. Yeah, and I he know. got back to me and said, "Oh no, it's okay. I got freed up." So, so there is discernment, <laughs> as you as you said. You know, people are tricky. Right. So, um, and you know, we're working along. Like many of you, we're working alongside people who, you know, so I've been working with some people for a decade, yeah. and I'm an evangelist, but I've maybe never shared with some people, yeah. and because I know. They're just, they just don't want truth, and, but they're watching. And so it is, we do need to be patient with people. And, um, and you know, it's, it's just one step closer towards God is a good thing. And, you know, prayer, prayer is, all, prayer is where it happens, you know.
0: Yeah. So my last question for you. So um, mind your business, but be busy being about business. How do you, how do you find the balance in that? Minding your business, but being about business. Like, because, you know, for you, it's so easy for, you know, when we talk about working with our hands, that's the text. It's saying, look, be faithful. Be a faithful employee. Be a faithful employer. Like, be about business that that, that you can do, but also be about the business of, of, of being an evangelist, right? Um, and, um, but... You know, some of us can be workaholics. Some of us can be just so much, yeah, no problem. I got it. I'm minding my business, you know. But I'm not taking care of business and my family. Not, there's no balance there. And for you, I mean, you run a surf school. You're passionate about surfing. You're a big wave surfer. been surfing your whole life. So it might be easy to kind of sort of get into that at the expense of your family. How do you find balance?
1: Yeah, you know, the scripture is the key, just that our minds are renewed, about again i'll just say it again about the brevity of life our lives are just a vapor and there is eternity on the other side you know that song that says break my heart for what breaks yours lord the lord's heart is broken you know time is short and um there is a whole eternity on the other side i shared with pastor ted the other day uh, at our christmas service we had one uh one man raised his hand to receive the Lord. The Bible says that there's more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents than for 99 just people. And, you know, after I gave the message, the one guy lifted his hand and I experienced the joy of heaven in my heart as that one soul came into the kingdom. And brothers and sisters, just to encourage you, that's God's business. God wants, whether you're sharing seed and you're casting it out, that's God's business, is, and or to be praying, there, this is the work that God wants us to labor for, that just make sure our hearts, each day, this year, at the start of this year, that that's where our heart is, it's in tune with God's business.
0: That's beautiful. Thanks, Pastor yes, John. Thanks. I'm gonna close with three questions. Uh, I have you jot the questions down. They'll be up after the service as well, so don't stress if you don't get them written down right in the time frame here before we start worship. But three questions as we close, just for you to jot down, take a walk with this this week. Uh, number one, how can you practice purity in 2020? How can you practice that? Uh, and And a corollary question, it might be you consider this: what cultural cues? Can you identify that subtly or not so subtly work against your own personal purity? Uh, Game of Thrones, anyone, right? There's a good example. Like there's things that the culture, and we go, oh, that's just normal. Oh, that's just part of the culture. But things pollute us. Things sabotage our purity, right? So so consider, gosh, how can I better practice uh, purity in 2020? Second question, how can you better practice brotherly love in 2020? And third question, how can you better practice prudence in 2020? Prudence in your work, prudence in your witness.